listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast that features interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm your host, Mike Costa of Costa Media Advisors. My guest this week is Becky Blazing, owner of Blazing Kiss Media. Becky grew up in Michigan, the daughter of two entrepreneurs. Throughout her career, Becky says she has thrived being a woman in a man's world. Becky started Blazing Kiss Media in 2012, meeting her goal to be a business owner before the age of 50. Becky, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before we talk about your professional and personal journey, what's in your morning cup? My morning cup includes some good German roasted coffee, some faith, and a big heart of gratitude. I like that. German roasted coffee. Now explain that a little bit. Well, my husband was born and raised in Germany, just outside of uh, Hanover in a small town called Ima. So it's on the north side. Sounds beautiful. It is. We met, and he's now a U.S. citizen, and we travel back and forth. So I've learned to really appreciate good German coffee, European coffee. And um, I can get it here, so I don't have to bring a bunch back in my suitcase. So I Where do you get it here? Aldi, believe it or not. You know, that makes sense because Aldi's a German company, right? Yes. And it's maybe the most underrated grocery store around. Oh, I think so. We go to Aldi quite a bit when we're in Europe because they're different brands. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it is. Well, good. Well, welcome. And uh, let's talk about your journey, your career. You grew up in Michigan. Your parents were entrepreneurs. Why don't we start there about growing up in Michigan? Well, Michigan is a beautiful state. I grew up in a little rural area, very similar to what Chattanooga is. So when we moved from Michigan to Chattanooga, I was very content. I felt like I'd have a little bit of my home state, although this is far more hillier and hotter. So growing up in rural Michigan, my dad was a manufacturer's rep and had his own company, and I did work for him. And my mom started a Baskin-Robbins oh, way cool. back in the mid-70s. Well, that's got to be a dream as a preteen and a teen, having a Baskin-Robbins in the family. <laughs> it was. Uh, I didn't really gain much weight, which was great, but my teeth paid a price. But they're all good now. <laughs> yeah. And I'd get a couple scoops a night. Even if I didn't work, she'd bring them home. <laughs> so I learned a lot about what franchise business is all about, as mm -hmm. well as when you're going to make that pivot to do what's best for your business in the community and still meet the corporate image and the brand image and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. And my dad just branched out on his own. He uh, worked for my grandfather, who was an entrepreneur. He came from Hungary, owned a tool and die company in Detroit. And my dad was a manufacturer's rep, a mechanical engineer by degree, first generation American who went to college. Sounds like my dad. He was a mechanical engineer by education and a first generation American too. Awesome. So I learned to have the entrepreneurial blood in me at a very young age. And I knew at some point in time in my career, even when I was working through college, that I would want to own my own business. And originally I thought I'd try law school. And if I became a lawyer, I was going to have my own law firm, but uh, I just decided law school wasn't for me and ventured on my path to sales and media sales and now entrepreneurship. So you grew up in an entrepreneurial family. Mm -hmm. Where did you end up going to college? Central Michigan. Where is that? That's... In Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Is that far from where you grew up? Uh, it's about two hours away, not too oh, far. Nice. Yeah. I did go up to the UP for a year, which was quite far. It was like in another part of the state, literally. But um, That's somewhere I've never been. I'd like to go. It's beautiful. It just, um, I think I did it just to sort of break away and, you know, but 
leaving and coming back in April with like 12 feet of snow. Yeah. It was like, nah. <laughs> so I transferred closer and then took some classes at Michigan State. So you graduate and uh, see you worked in nonprofits and mental health. Talk a little bit about getting out of school, what you wanted to do and, and what you ended up doing. So when I was ready to graduate, my dad decided he wanted to expand the company a bit more. And both of my brothers were working for him and he had a couple other people. And he wanted to transfer one of my brothers to North Carolina. And uh, he said, I know you don't want to go to law school. I'm okay with that. I know you want to do some things and you're applying at different places, but I really think you'd be great in sales and working for me. And I'd like to give you West Michigan territory and all of Indiana and see what you can do with it. He goes, there's some areas that I think you could excel in that guys just can't do. And what was the product that he was representing? Uh, Tooling. So a bunch of gauges, inspection equipment, big, large material handling racks, everything originally designed and manufactured for OEM market, original equipment manufacturers. Do you remember the name brand of the material handling racks? And I ask this question because that's what our family business was, was yes. material handling equipment. Griswold Machine and Engineering out of Union City. Okay. And we did a lot with General Motors. Yeah. With, you know, so the, the car industry was obviously critical. Yeah. And then we had some gauging companies. and They worked with a lot of the, uh, not just automotive, but, you know, Whirlpool, Kelvinator back in those days, and all of those companies. So I decided I'd take a job with him. With the notion that if I didn't like it or I was bored with it or I wanted, you know, I did what I did, that I could leave without that, you know. Because it's hard to work for a family. Say that's your boss, your employer, but now this is dad. And, you know, what I do after work is really, you know. I mean, Becky, you're singing my song because I got I got out of school and I went to work in the family business. And I think I lasted 18 months. I hear you. And so I, I ended up uh, moving to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And that's a pretty town. Too. Oh, it's gorgeous. If I have to move back to Michigan, which I know I won't, I would move back there because the other areas are not as, you know, it's accessible to the lakes. It's accessible to other parts of country. And so, so I worked for my dad. And as I was learning the town and that kind of thing, I ran into some people that ran group homes and they worked for a very large nonprofit called Hope Network. And talking to them, you know, they're like, man, you'd be really good working with special needs folks. And I had done some work with special needs folks in the Special Olympics in college and that kind of thing. So I ended up taking a like weekend gig where I worked in some of the group homes just so I could also meet people because, you know, your new area, learning your career. I traveled all the time. I was gone a lot during the week and then I'd come home. And so I did that for a little bit. And as I met people in that organization, as time grew, they're like, you know, I think uh, you'd be good for some management. We have some openings. Would you like to apply? So I pivoted and applied, and I ended up running four very specialized group homes for adults with developmental disabilities. They had audits four times a year. It was very uh, labor-intensive, behavioral-challenging folks. Was that more of a job or a calling? It was more of a calling, I think, Yeah. Um, because... I certainly didn't do it for the high income. <laughs> Let's say that. Well, they start out with nonprofits. Exactly. <laughs> and what people don't understand about nonprofits is their goal is to make money, but they just reinvest it into the organization where, you know, others pay out. Um, so it was more of a calling. And I'm glad I did that because then that launched me to working in mental health with uh, Kent County government doing a variety of jobs from quality improvement, compliance, maintenance, and working with agencies to make sure that those group homes ran themselves. We did have an incident where one home was not doing well, 
It had been an agency that had some problems prior to my coming on board, and we had to shut it down, and we had to switch service providers and all of that, and we did that. Mm. We were given accolades for that, for how we did it, because programs picking it up didn't miss a beat. Individuals were served well, et cetera. And then, um, you know, life happens. Mm -hmm. During that whole time, my mom had cancer and had passed away, and then as I was going into the next phase of my mental health career into contract management, where I worked with providers and managed their contracts and helped negotiate services and those kinds of things, my dad became ill. Mm. And the youngest of four kids, I was at the time dating my husband, but I hadn't gotten married. And I, once again, was that one where they called me up, hey, dad needs some help, blah, 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 blah. So I decided I needed a career change. Mental health was just too draining. It was too much. So I took some vacation and uh, thought about it. And at the time, I had one of my very best friends was the top-rated female jock in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And she said, I have some people I want you to meet. You already know them, but I want you to meet them. So I talked a little bit. They all said you'd be great in media sales. So I, you know, knocked on the doors, did everything, and I went into media sales. So none of this was anything you planned when you were in high school or college and said, you know, when I go to college, I want to get out. I want to go into mental health. (laughs) Work for a bunch of nonprofits, have my hair pulled, kicked, and, you know. um, No, absolutely it wasn't. You went where life took you. Right. I, when I was younger growing up, I thought, oh, I'm going to be a veterinarian. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a smart gal, but math too much of that, just, you know, I'm that creative thinker. <laughs> you can only be creative with math until you get the answer right, right? But that's also why you excelled at media sales. Right. No, exactly. And um, so, no, this was not anything that I envisioned. And, you know, I studied political science in college with um, industrial psychology and sociology as minors. And when I told my dad I was leaving to go to nonprofit, he did keep his promise. He was very supportive, but he's like, oh, maybe that's where that psychology I paid for came in, (laughs) you know, that sociology. He just, as he saw my career grow and saw what I did, especially knowing that you change people's lives and families. And when I worked in mental health, I was able to work with the certification of Medicaid children's waiver and adult waivers. And when you're able to change lives, it is phenomenal. And being able to provide families with services for their kids that they might not otherwise get. Yeah. Because you're helping them. Right. But you got into media sales and it looks like you got that in your blood and it took. So what year was it you got into media sales in Michigan? It was 2004. 2004. And how long did you work in Michigan? Um, For five years until we moved in 2009. Did you move to Chattanooga? In 2009, we came here to Chattanooga. As the economy was dumping. It, um, it was dumping. <laughs> it was. My husband was a um, software engineer for a automotive supplier, a large automotive supplier, and the company was based out of Belgium. And he came to Grand Rapids because his original company he worked for was bought out. And at the time when the economy was dumping, um, they laid off 33% of the workforce, and he was one of them. And, you know, he said, I don't really know what we're going to do. I mean, he applied for jobs even in Germany. He said, would you move back? I said, yeah, because by this time, both of my parents had passed away. And I'm like, you know, yeah. Well, then he realized Volkswagen was building a plant. And he did an internship with them years ago in college. And he went to university right where their headquarters are. But he had no affiliation with Volkswagen whatsoever. So, you know, he'd get up every morning, ride his motorcycle to Starbucks, meet his buds for coffee to get his day going, kept his routine. He'd do some job searching. He'd write his resume. And when he found that Volkswagen had a plant, he'd put all the I's together and T's and sent it out. And um, sure enough, he was one of the first ones hired. His office for a while was right down at the Liberty Building before the plant was even built. So that gets you here. 
and you stay in media sales and you went to work for, was it Brewer? Correct. They were starting their talk format mm -hmm. and adding ESPN radio and myself and another gal, uh, we applied and we were senior people. So they said, Hey, this would be a great way to, you know, kick those stations off. And I'm glad I did because that helped me learn the lay of the land, uh, Chattanooga, um, you know, working for a small family owned business myself you know, growing up that way, I thought this was great. Well, and you yeah. meet everyone, too, through media sales. I exactly. Mean, the, the connections you're able to make. So you're working for Brewer, but in the back of your head, you've always wanted to own your own business. Right. I even told my husband, I said, this is where I'm going to start my company in Chattanooga. Because I said, by the time I was 50, I was going to have my own business. And people go, well, why 50? And I said, well, now 50 is the new 40. But back then, I just thought, you're at the pinnacle of your career. You can walk away. You've had a lot of accomplishments. You don't have to look back. You don't have to go, if I only did this. The only if I did this would, if I only followed my dream and became an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Because I think by then I felt I would have enough sense. And I did. So I exceeded that goal by a few years. Oh, that's perfect. So tell us about Blazing Kiss Media. First, the name. <laughs> <laughs> well, my name is Blazing by marriage and my maiden name was kiss so i always knew in the back of my mind that i would have kiss in my business name some way shape or form and my husband said you know you should have your married name in there too because people that your first meeting will know you as blazing and people that have always known you will recognize you by kiss so i said you're right but people don't pronounce blazing right so I said, if I do it phonetically, so I did a whole business search and decided to spell it B-L-A-Z-I-N-G for blazing and keep the kiss and added the media. We're really a full service business development company that incorporates media and media is a big part of business development because it's the way that you communicate the brand image, the brand identity, and the business development is using all of the strategies to help grow someone's business by product and or services, by staffing, you know, online sales are huge now. So, and I knew I wanted to do something like that because watching my mom grow her business, I think my dad really got her into that. So he would have some way to like say, Hey, here's some tax write-offs. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, watching my family work and reap the benefits I also knew that by the time I was 50, I would really appreciate some flexibility in my work schedule. When you decided to launch, was that consciously in your head that I want to do this before I'm 50? Or were there some events that you said, you know what, I've done media sales, it's time? Yes. I mean, in the back of my head, I always had a goal that it would be 50. Now, if it turned out to be 51 or 52, yeah. would I be mad? No, because I still met my goal. But I'm somebody that always has to have sort of a target to shoot at. As a golfer, I try to have that. I don't always make that target. <laughs> but one of the compelling reasons I decided to start it when I did is my father-in-law passed away in 2011. And uh, my mother-in-law, outside of my husband and her other son and former daughter-in-law, she passed away. Um, it was just my mother-in-law. And I thought, you know, in order to spend time with her, because she is going to be just not doing well with all of this, I need to have some flexibility and I need to be able to go and visit with her and spend time with her. My husband, you know, he's limited in corporate America. You have a limited amount of time. And, you know, in Europe, employees get more time. Here they oh, yeah. don't. A lot more. So we talked and as Brewer was making some program changes, I said, you know, now's the time. And that was, tell me again, 2009? We, we came here, what? yep. And then in 2011, I licensed Blazing Kiss Media. In 2012, I kicked it off. And how's it been? 
great. My mother-in-law came here in 2014 and she was able to see things I do and I was able to spend time with her. The business has thrived. It's evolved. I have digital media products now as well. Even during COVID, it was a very, very difficult time, but being able to utilize business development strategies, I was able to help clients ride out the storm. Yeah. So business is great, and I'm very thankful for that. One of the things I said in the introduction was the quote of yours, you thrived being a woman in a man's world. Talk a little bit about that. You know, being a manufacturer's representative back in the 80s and early 90s, there weren't a lot of women going into the automotive markets or the household appliance industry or, you know, an automotive supplier and saying, hey, I have a bunch of original equipment that I can sell you for your manufacturing. You know, you need a special fixture gauge. Let me show you this blueprint or let me read this blueprint. It was really a man's world. And so if I think about the Me Too movement, I had episodes of that, but I just, you know, had to rise above it. And there was one incident where I said to my dad, you know, this man is not making me feel very comfortable. If you expect me to take him to lunch, you're coming with me. I'm okay in the office setting, but when I have to go out, sure enough, he's like, okay. So every time I took him to lunch, my dad accompanied me. And I'm not saying that, you know, that would work in every situation for women. I'm just saying I was fortunate to have that assistance there. They'd say, well, what do you know about a blueprint? Well, let me show you what I know. And if I didn't know, I'd have people on the phone. It was a different time generationally. Correct. I would imagine it, it was always an uphill journey, for lack of better description. You know, there were a few accounts that I had that were established, but there were others. The reason I was asked to take this position was to grow the territory. Right. How do you grow it? By knocking on the doors. And, and in that kind of capacity, Mike, you know from your previous careers, it's just not one person I'm talking to. It's a design engineer, it's a product engineer, it's the mechanical engineer, it's the purchasing agent. It's all of these people you have to get on the same page. And it takes some time. And the old thing, well, you know, just wear some high heels and a skirt. Well, I did that, but I also made sure that I had some other shoes in the event I needed to go on the plant. And they'd say that, well, I want to take into the plant, but just a minute, you know, I'd have some tennis shoes I'd put on and we'd walk in the plant because I wasn't going to be that, well, I can't, I can't do that. They'd want to show you something. Well, here, you couldn't take pictures or you didn't have cell phones like that back then. So you're sketching a little bit, taking notes. And it was the fact that I listened well. It was the fact that I appreciated the relationships I was developing. And if I didn't feel I had enough information, I'd say, now let's recap this and see what we need. So I didn't have to make five additional calls to get the proposal in for the quote. What did that teach you now that you look back on it, that you use in your career today, those experiences? What did that teach you? Listen well, but observe, and that silence has a louder voice. If you listen, you're going to hear a lot more, and you're going to see a lot more. And to not be afraid to ask questions, too, and advocate for what you need to get what they need. Did you take away anything from the male-dominated world, uh, particularly the industry you were in, because the car industry sure. and, and manufacturing? What did you take away from that? I took away that they really didn't want to admit that women can do what they can do. They didn't really want to admit that there are some decent, not just sales reps, but female engineers. I had a few smaller Companies like within Whirlpool, for example, um, that had a few female engineers and they were sort of the grunt engineers. But when I had a chance to interact with them, I'd see behind, you know, oh, they have some, uh, you know, 
yeah, you guys, yeah, you guys did a pretty good job on that. So I was able in, to see that they recognize women can do it. They just didn't want to really admit it. <laughs> do, do you think that was more out of fear than anything else? Yes, absolutely. And I even think some of that exists today. Oh, I mean, I, yeah. I'm working on some proposals for companies and out of state areas for some digital products. And I have clients out of state, so I use them as references. But you get, well, what about this? Well, okay, what about that? You know, I do think that there is this level of fear. And I think sometimes as good as social media can be for a lot of things, it can be not so good for some things. And I think a lot of, a lot of it comes from those kinds of things. But, you know, you just have to be strong. And, and I've always been a big advocate for myself. I've always grown up the younger in an older environment, I feel, mm -hmm. and that has helped me a lot. How important has that been to you in terms of being an advocate for yourself? Because I grew up basically the same generation you did, and particularly a, a woman. If you're not an advocate for yourself, no one was giving you an opportunity or being an advocate for you. Right. I think it's helped me very well, and I think this is a good point to lead in that. Um, July 26th of this year will be a year from when I had my bilateral mastectomy for breast cancer. Wow. So a year of cancer-free? Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I will go back July to have my uh, check and whatever my cancer surgeon directs. Right now I'm under um, medication and I see my oncologist, but I finished my chemo. And so advocacy has served me well and it lended itself. I wouldn't be where I am today. Uh, unexpected cancer, just regular mammogram. Um, Let's talk a little bit about that. You've started your own business. You're being successful. The economy's improving. Things are going well. Then, bam. Right. So how did that come about? You said a routine exam. So because my mother had metastatic breast cancer, I have had mammograms from the time I was 31 years of age. And when they started with 3D mammograms, I added that. So I have never missed a mammogram, even moving. There was one time in Michigan, um, they had me come back in because they said something looked sort of wonky. It turned out to be a little bit of calcium because I do have an autoimmune disorder that I found a few years prior to this cancer diagnosis that causes that. So I go last year in May, think nothing of it. Because you've been doing it every year since you're 31. Go get it. And they're like, everything's, yeah, 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 you know. I'm on my way to the golf course in the afternoon the following day, like about, you know, 4.30, and uh, my doctor's office calls me. So I get to the course and I call them back and they say to me, well, you've had an abnormal mammogram. We're going to have to have another mammogram. You're going to have to have an ultrasound and we're going to have to do some MRI imaging and blah, 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 blah. So um, I see my husband later that evening and I tell him I have this abnormal mammogram. They're going to want to do all this kind of stuff. And he said, well, I'll go with you. I said, you know, I'm sure it's just calcium or something. I said, I I know they want to do all this stuff, but they're, you know, it's just proactive if I needed it. Two weeks later, I go back for my follow-up, and they're doing some stuff and doing some more stuff. And they say, well, you can get dressed, and I'll go in this other room. And I thought, it really isn't going as I thought. And the radiologist comes out, and, you know, I'm trying to make light of some things. I'm like, hey, you remind me of my nephew. He goes, well, thank you. And he tells me, you know, I was a radiologist who read your results, um, I'm also the radiologist that read your results last year. And he goes, this is what I want to show you. And um, we're 99.9% .9 sure it's cancer. How do you absorb that? I, I tell you, it just sounded like I was in a funnel and everything was coming at me. Did you hear anything after that? Um, 
you know, we've made a lot of advancements. That's about all I heard. Yeah. And yeah. And then things happened rather fast because for two consecutive weeks, we had to go back up to Michigan for family functions, a graduation and a wedding. And then two weeks after that, we were traveling to Germany. And so I said, you know, we need to move fast. Well, they did. <laughs> and I pushed for that. Yeah. Uh, great healthcare team. My case went to the tumor board. They all suggested that based on my MRI, although it didn't spread to the other breast, it was just a matter of when it would. And my history and my genetics, I did genetic testing that I would uh, opt for a mastectomy bilateral and start reconstruction. Um, I did need chemo because there's a new test, which I hope every woman, if they are under the gun of breast cancer, please ask your healthcare team, your oncologist for an oncotype. Oncotype? Yes. And it is a test that looks at the genes of your tumor, your pathology, and it will determine a recurrence factor. Now I'm in a database, which as they explore and get more information on certain genes, they will then come back and say, we know more about this type of cancer you had. That determined that I was 37% likely to have cancer recur, even though I don't have any breast tissue. So they used chemo as a curative mode to prevent, so they were tricking my cells into thinking I didn't have cancer. So let's hope that works so I will remain cancer-free because I don't want to have to have it in the back of my head. Yeah, it's always back there. Yeah. And that's got to be very hard. So you're an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm and you get hit with this diagnosis. What's that do to your business? How do you keep your focus on your business and your life? Well, I have female business owners and I have male business owners and I didn't spare them. I said, you know, I have the situation and they're all like, we got your back, whatever you need. If you need to take time off, we understand that. If I did take time off, it was only during my surgery, but I, you know, I do a lot with contract employees because mm -hmm. I feel that I can say, okay, Mike has this personality, so I'm going to have Becky work with Mike on this project and bring Cindy in for this and that. And so I told everybody on my team what was happening and that, you know, and they're all like, well, we're going to pull together and do what we have to do. So out of this whole ordeal in the last year, I missed two weeks post-surgery. They wanted me to do three. I negotiated two. And we're good. <laughs> as long as the third week I didn't go into the office, it was at the you know table working on the computer. You need more of that German attitude of we have time to take off rather than the American well, attitude. Well, that's what my husband said, but I'm like, well, you know. Um, I'm getting better at that because prior to my surgery, I did spend some time in Germany to just wrap my head around all of it. And what has this taught you over the last year? How does it, I know it's changed your life in a lot of ways, but how do you look at things differently? Well, because of everything I've been through and my um, autoimmune, I can't wear my wedding ring right now on a regular basis. So I have a cross that I wear. My husband has one as well. And I have, it's a yoga symbol for be strong. And I look in the mirror every day, not just at my scars, but I look in the mirror every day and say, you are amazingly strong and, you know, resilient um, versatile, just anything that I can to motivate myself. And I realize that I can do whatever it is I set my mind out to do. And if it's to help somebody build a business from the ground up, as we've talked before, I'm going to be doing my own podcast. Talk about that. Imposters to Clones, conversations about breast cancer. Really the same facet you're doing, just to tell the story 
have women have a platform to advocate for themselves, ask questions. There's so much information out there on breast cancer that it's wonderful, but it's also scary. Some of it's inaccurate. Some of it is based on, well, I had the same medication you're on and I just performed horribly with it. And I, I just, you know, you shouldn't use it. Boy, you know, when did you go to med school? <laughs> um, so imposters, I always called my reconstruction process with the tissue expanders. They were my imposters. The implants are now my clones. And I also looked at the treatment. Chemo and that is an imposter. That's poison they're putting in your body to clone you to be a better person. Yeah. And the conversations are simply that. Somebody may um, have a story to tell about how they were caring for someone with breast cancer. And then that motivated them to get a mammogram. And guess what? They found out something. Um, it may be I have a question about the reconstruction process. I knew nothing about how all of this would transpire because they're giving you all this information. Like I said, I felt like I was in a, a tunnel. So the one thing I learned, too, is in order to advocate, you have to have people with you. So my husband has made every appointment. The one he couldn't, my very best friend in Michigan, called in. The doctor's like, yep, can you hear me? Took notes, then emailed them. Because you don't know what you don't know, and you can't absorb all of it. A couple of times you said advocate. First advocate for yourself in terms of your career and business. And we've had a number of women in here talking about their careers. And that's the common theme. You know, otherwise, you're either sitting back, not contributing, and you got to learn to advocate. But to take that pivot and put it in the medical sense, too, I think it's critical. Yes. We are always afraid to ask questions because you don't want to feel like, oh, I'm imposing on their time, or I don't want them to think I'm stupid, or, oh, this is dumb. I ask questions, and I'll say to them, look, I didn't get this from Dr. Google. I, you know, <laughs> I went to the websites that, you know, I've been directed to by my healthcare team. I have a question about this. You know, the one thing I did learn in the treatment of breast cancer, I monitored a lot by all my blood work. I mean, I get blood work every month. And sometimes, depending on if I need an infusion, because the medication I'm on can cause osteoporosis, I get an infusion, well, I need a different set of labs. But every time I get the results, if something's changed slightly, I ask why. I don't take it for granted that because they didn't mention it, I'll say, hey, this white blood cell counts here. Last time it was here, what does that mean? That just means that your body's leveling out from the chemo. That's very natural. Good question. It's know. important to ask those questions. Right. And my oncologist says to me, you know, I love the fact that you have faith. I worry about those patients that don't. And faith is whatever it is to you. I'm not pontificating that you have to be, you know, a zealot, but you have to have some hope. And I just have an extraordinary support system, not just with clients and friends here, but family you know, as I embark on turning 60 next month, I'm grateful. And I just, the advocacy got me to where I'm at today. How has this changed you? Do you live more day to day? And what I mean by that, just not worrying about what the future holds, but embracing the day. Absolutely. You know, every morning, like I said, I have my German roast coffee. I have faith and I have, you know, gratitude in my heart. And I'm like, Oh, it's a little chilly today. Okay, bundle up a little bit more. Not like, why is the weather like this and it's May, you know? Yeah. I've recently started back at the golf course and I... What's your handicap? Right now it's 14. You're better than me. Um, <laughs> and I'm adjusting my handicap, but it's a show right now, okay? But I'm just grateful to be out there. And I laugh more. Um, you know, I'm like... Oh, these shoes don't really look well with this outfit. Well, you know what? They're comfortable today. I'm putting them on. <laughs> it's just those little things, Mike, that you may not have really paid much attention to before. Like I had to go up to Michigan last month. Sadly, one of my favorite uncles passed away. 
and none of my family have ever seen me with gray hair because I've colored it all the time. My siblings are like, wow. And my nieces are like, they said chemo changes your hair color. No. <laughs> this is the real stuff. And people love it, you know, and they it go, looks great. keep it this way. And I'm like, yeah, I really am. But I would have never went gray had I not had cancer. Just wouldn't have done it. Now I could really give it rats because you know what? I had two types of chemo and one has a class action lawsuit for permanent hair loss. So I'm just grateful. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's hard. I will tell you, one of the hardest things with chemo was that third day afterwards, you get the fever, yeah. you feel. And I was blessed though. I mean, this is a way of my faith. I'd have chemo on a Tuesday. I'd do what I wanted to do. Wednesday, I'd feel a little sluggish. You push through it. Thursday, a little sluggish. You push through it. Friday, I'd wrap up paperwork from the office. By 3 o'clock, I'd have a fever feel like, eh, down for the count on a weekend and back up on a Monday. So it's not like, you know, I was very fortunate. Yeah, but also you had a drive that not everyone has, too. But yes, I, uh, I do look at every day as let's just absorb it. And I'm fortunate, too, because I, when I travel to Germany, I tell my clients, I'm going, they go, yep, we know. It's, we miss not seeing you, but we see you virtually, or we never really know you're not there. Because with the time change, I can work. You know, I do stuff with her, and then at 2.30 in the afternoon, it's 8.30 in the States. I'm doing my stuff. And Well, and that's been the great thing about COVID. We've all learned to work remotely, and it's given us that ability yeah. to do that. Yeah. Um, you've got a fascinating journey. I do have one last question sure. for you. What would you tell your 25-year-old self is important for a happy life? Oh, that's a really good question. I would tell my 25-year-old self for a happy life, don't ever look back and don't ever second-guess what you want to do. Your first thought, go with it. Great advice. It's been a great conversation, Becky. I've enjoyed it. I look forward to your podcast. And congratulations on a year cancer-free. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.